Welcome to another episode of the You Thought Sports Podcast, but this is a special episode. This is going to be a review of Formula One Drive to Survive Season 3. Lucas and I have became Formula One fans because of this Netflix series. And now that we are here for the the new season, we definitely wanted to to get some reactions. Because I know it's fun to, when you have a TV show that you really like, it's fun to see what other people are thinking about it. And sometimes you don't have someone to talk about it with, so... It's nice to have Lucas here joining me, and then hopefully all of you in the comments after this would love to hear what you have to think about our takes and what narratives we're spewing. So, uh, Lucas, why don't you start off with uh, we, we'll, we'll do, we're going to do episodes one and two today, some reactions to that. Lucas, why don't you start it off with whatever you want? <laughs> all right, sounds good. Let's talk about episode one and then as a whole, and then episode two as a whole. Okay, I think you know they both do important things for like what we're talking about. Um, for episode one, it was so weird for me, and I know this isn't the overarching thing I'm going to talk about, but just, like, seeing coronavirus happen in real time mm-hmm. there. Like, I think it's one of the very first scenes you see, like, Daniel Ricardo uh, talking to, like, his mom on the phone or something, and he's like, you know, I'll be fine. If I just have a corona, it'll kill it. Because it's, like, January, February. Mm-hmm. I know at that point, like, I wasn't... Um, particularly serious about it either like I, I had no idea the extent to how bad it would be exactly um other little things like I, I forget who it was but they're in a car going to a racing point event and you hear like a news report come over the radio and it's like and person-to-person transmissibility seems low yeah yeah it truly did and then you just see it like slowly slowly unfold bit by bit um there's the moment too where like they hear like all that the u.s has closed its borders uh, Dan Ricardo mentions that like the NBA shuts down its season and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and eventually it culminates with them shutting down Melbourne too. So, yeah, it was weird to see that happen in real time, and because all this happened before I watched Formula One, um, because I discovered it in quarantine, mm-hmm. like I didn't know that they had gotten all the way to Melbourne and canceled it. I didn't know about you know Lewis Hamilton speaking up about the whole Cassius King thing, which I thought was cool. So yeah, I, I didn't think, know that either. Yeah, so I think it was it, the big takeaway initially I had from the first episode was that it was just sort of like a, a time machine back seeing like COVID unfold in real time, which I thought was cool and interesting. And I think they did a good job of like building up to that as well, like dropping in the little hints throughout the episode to show it. Yeah, I agree. I think they did. I think they did do a good job. I, I kind of wish they didn't spend as much time on the pandemic because like we all kind of know about it. I mean, it's it is part of the story of the Formula One season, but at the same time, yeah, we all kind of know about it. I was curious to see how long are you gonna spend on it. They spent like a lot longer than I thought they would, but they mm-hmm. for what they decided to do, they did do a good job on like the build up and and uh, I I didn't know about the Cassius King. I think I did. I started. I'm pretty sure season two had released before the start of that season, so I think I had mm-hmm. I was kind of paying attention to that. But I didn't know the Lewis Hamilton Cassius King thing. Obviously, that's what the episode's titled. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So he was kind of clairvoyant, I guess, on on that, on taking it seriously. Yeah. Where that everybody else was like, uh... yeah, I think Lando didn't Lando yeah. said, if I get coronavirus, I'm st- I'll still race. Then he said yeah, somebody exactly. said that because like, uh-huh. that's kind of what like our attitude was like, right? That's what a lot of people's attitude was back in February, March. We're like, well, if I get it, then whatever. Now it's like, yeah, uh, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder too if like. There were more people thinking what Lewis was, but because he is who he is and he's the star and he's pretty much, like, not going to be touched, like, he felt, like, empowered to, like, speak out in a way that, like, someone else might not have. Yeah, that's de- that could definitely be true. Yeah. 
Speaking of, this is totally random. Speaking of people in power, the, I, I felt like they they misrepresented uh, Lawrence Stroll a little bit. They made him look I, so like, like like this big boss. That's like, what are we doing? I got, I need to be in the air at four thirty, like wheels up. Like I guess, okay, I guess he did actually say that, but like all the camera angles too were like really distant from him, like showing like an Otmar, the team principal Otmar was like, looked like super <laughs> like nervous and anxious and stuff. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I have in my notes that he looks like a cartoon character billionaire. Like he's just like, they have, they like painted him as this just like extent of evil. And like, I don't know too much about him, but like if that. I just sat down and watched that, I'd be like, wow, this is like, the worst person in the world and like even his introduction when they first talk to him he says my name is Lawrence Stroll I'm the chairman and like that's it that's <laughs> right there so it's just like sort of like emits the power and I think what they're trying to do is like set up the whole like racing point narrative too of them being like the villain of the season I feel like yeah aside between um aside from you know COVID being the big story of the first episode I thought the other like big sort of story they were trying to push was that you know racing point is going to be the villain here mm-hmm and that's the thing too is they didn't really focus on the drivers at all, and and mm-hmm. I don't know I've I've watched a little far ahead so far they still haven't really focused on the drivers they've really mm-hmm. focused on like the team prince they've really focused on Otmar and and Lawrence Stroll the owner, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting. So they're definitely making them look more of the bad guys mm-hmm. rather than yeah rather than the drivers. The drivers are kind of blameless in it I guess. I mean they didn't design yeah. the car, but exactly and they have like no control over like yeah. what they sit in from. Yeah, and and another another uh, comment I saw on Reddit, I was just scrolling through right before this episode is like, they didn't really go into like, like everybody was like the car looked super familiar, like you could tell right away it looks like a, Mer- a twenty nineteen Mercedes, mm-hmm. but to me it's just like I don't know, it looks like a Formula One car. I literally <laughs> can't tell. I can't tell why that looks like a copy. I wish they would have went yeah. a little more into that, like to show to an average viewer that doesn't really know much about car mechanics and stuff why why it was cheating you know yeah no i agree because to me like i i don't have like the engineering knowledge and like nuance to know like the difference just by like looking at a car of you know what it is or what it is and i thought they sort of like in addition to that like really sort of revisiting like the whole villain narrative thing they really even played into it with like the quotes they selected to share from like people at racing point i think one was like we take inspiration from the fastest car. Everybody else does it. Like, why, why don't we, like, why shouldn't we? So it's, yeah, I, yeah, it's just like really, I think clear and evident there, like what they're trying to do and how this is going to play out over the course of the season. Do you think it was a good idea to like, kind of in, in the previous seasons, they kind of like focus on a team for an episode rather than like, they don't really go chronologically on the races. They don't this season either. So, but do you think it was a good idea to like kind of start with Racing Point? Do you think that was like a good team to pick, or do you think there was a better team to pick? Yeah, I think that they're one of the most interesting teams this past year. Since like I actually watched races this past year, cause, mm-hmm. just because their their cars were fast, they were competitive. Because I don't know the big controversy of the season. I feel like was around them and Mercedes, and like there are a lot of other like cool storylines that get that happen that'll play out throughout the course of the documentary. But I think. If you have to pick one to focus on, I think Racing Point is a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's good. And we, then when we get into episode two, Red Bull, I think Red Bull's also mm-hmm. like probably the most interesting team after that. Yeah, I so agree. Mm-hmm. I think they did a pretty good job picking which teams to start with. Yeah, I did as well. Anything more on episode one? No, I thought it was good. It was good to be back watching. Yeah, doing everything with it. It was good. Episode two then. That was this was probably my favorite episode 
or I, I really liked this episode. I thought they did a good job with like setting up kind of the Albon narrative. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's funny too to see like Horner being like Horner spends this entire series kind of defending his uh, Pierre Gasly Alex Albon mm-hmm. swap. Like, Albon fighting for podiums in the first race shows like he's delivering on the promise mm-hmm. and everything. And then I can't wait to see what he says at the end of the season. He's going to be saying the exact same things he was saying about Gasly at the end oh, of the absolutely. season when they. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert for people. I, I won't go into it actually, but you'll you'll see okay. for people that did not follow the Formula One season, it, it gets interesting. Um, but people, yeah, I think you know. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. you go. I was gonna say in the way I think that they set up, um, Racing Point to be the villain in the first one. I think they set up Red Bull in a lot of ways to be like the hero and like exceedingly likable in this one. Because <laughs> like, especially with Horner, um, you know. It, it, even like all his like tactics and everything are just sort of seen as like you know he's a he's a mastermind. Yeah. He's like he's like he's like a top class like strategist and yeah. stuff like that. Like um, when he goes and like shows the video um, to get Hamilton the penalty um, at Austria, they they don't even present it in like like a negative way. They're just like they they give the quote of him that's just like you know you got to take down Mercedes whenever you can, mm-hmm. and then he just does it. Um, so I think. Yeah, in terms of, like, narratives, like, contrasting with the teams and how they're, like, shown differently, I think Red Bull was very much the hero in this one, whereas Racing Point was the villain. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think uh, I kind of saw it as when, like, when they were in that little booth and they were like, oh, we got footage that the FIA didn't even get. How'd they miss that? Mm -hmm. It looked, like, kind of petty, like, like someone, like, oh, I'm looking for an error, like, in there, in, like, I don't know, in, like, a Scantron or something. It it was kind of funny. I thought it looked kind of petty, but... I get it though. the The funny thing, the relationship between Toto Wolf and Christian Horner, you know what it reminds me of? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like lawyers who are super, like, super bitter in the courtroom, and then like, <laughs> yeah. okay, but we're gonna have a dinner after this. We're gonna come to a settlement and like talk talk the case mm-hmm. and everything. They're not yeah. necessarily friends, but like they spend so much time with each other. And I don't know. That's mm-hmm. I definitely think that, that Toto that, yeah. definitely views Horner as like a little brother right now. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, they even had Horner like talking to Toto's wife. Like, you, they're they're building that narrative too of like mm-hmm. how interconnected their worlds are and their lives are, and yeah. you know their competition there. But the mo- I, another. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The most frustrating. I feel like the frustrating thing for Christian Horner would be. There was talks at the end of the season that like, oh, Total Wolf might retire, and Christian Horner does not want Total Wolf to retire on top. I think mm-hmm. Christian Wolf or Christian Horner really wants to beat Wolf, like at his peak, because I remember they get oh, into sure. this later too in the season. I, I feel like that kind of stings Formula One people, like or any athlete that their competitor like retires on top, because then they, mm-hmm. they like didn't get a chance to beat them and like kind of put them in their place, no matter how good you do outside of that rivalry. They get into that with, like, Nico Rosberg. If For p- people that don't know, in 2016, Lewis Hamilton's teammate was, like, really aggressive and actually beat him uh, for the championship that year. And Lewis Hamilton's re- is you can tell that he's pretty mad about that. And his re- rival, Nico, retired after that year. So Lewis never got a chance again to, like, set the record straight and, like, get his payback, which I think mm-hmm. that's what Christian Horner doesn't want to happen between him and Toto, I think. Yeah, I think you saw that, too, when there was the moment where... He's like, you know, we were on top for four years, but Toto's now been on top for six years. Yeah. And, like, you can tell, like, there's something deep down in him that's, like, not only envious that, like, he has he's done it for longer, but then he also just goes on to his whole thing about, like, you know, it's got to end eventually. Mm-hmm. And I think he just wants it to, like, end so badly oh, yeah. and be the one to do it. Oh, yeah. 
I, I feel like too. What do you think of like Christian Horner's relationship to Max and Alex Alvin? It, it, it reminds me to me. It reminds me of like Moneyball in in the movie Moneyball. There's a scene <laughs> yeah. where Billy Bean's like, I can't be friends with these players. I need to be able to cut them, trade them, and stuff. That's what I feel like mm-hmm. Christian Horner's relationship is. He doesn't seem like that close yeah. with them. No, he doesn't. Like there are little moments like after Alvin loses the podium in Austria, like he like goes over and comforts him. But I feel, feel like for the most part, it's just like they're parts of his business transaction. Yeah, like, it's pretty. Whenever he talks about Max, it's like we want him to be the youngest world champion ever. We want him to be the youngest <laughs> world champion ever, and it's like. I'm sure Max wants that too, but, you know, I feel like that's the only way in which he sees him, and, like, he just, like, wants him to be this, you know, vehicle for, like, achieving this thing that's never been achieved before. Yeah, and I don't blame, I don't really, like, blame him for that necessarily, but yeah. other other team principals have different uh, relationships with, like, Zach Brown, the McLaren team principal has a, mm-hmm. seems to have a much more tight-knit relationship with his drivers than, like, Christian Horner does. Yeah, it's a lot more tra- transactional. Because Red Bull, like, swaps drivers so often, I feel like. Yeah. Well, and speaking of McLaren, I want to mention, I think it's interesting on the first two episodes, too, there's, like, none of Carlos signs. Like, it's just yeah. all about Lando Norris. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, like, Norris had a more notable early season, I guess, than Sainz did, or at least up in, through Austria. But, I don't know, like, because I'm curious to see how they deal with all of Sainz going to, like, like, that relationship as he, like, prepares to go to Mercedes, not Mercedes, Ferrari and all of that. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I would have liked a little bit more of that in the first few episodes. But obviously, like, the Norris story is cool and interesting because he's so young and he's doing well and he seems to have this really great relationship with the team. Yeah, and I, I wonder how much the team, how much say the team gets in kind of crafting their, their narrative. Yeah. They were like, let's mm-hmm. promote Lando in this or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. How yeah. Much they get. No, I was wondering about that too. Like, it was some sort of like after the fact, you know, sort of like they're, they're angry at signs and. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't. I never got the sense out. that they were angry at signs. It seemed like pretty cordial the entire year, but we'll see. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? <clears throat> so that and to get to like the actual racing, th- this is people forget that Alex Albon like honestly could have won the first race in Austria. Mm-hmm. Like he was, yeah. uh, like they said, he was on a good tire strategy. They were on. He was on soft tires, which, for the uninitiated, soft tires are the quickest tires, but they degrade the fastest, so you can't do as many laps on them. Where Mercedes were on hard tires, which are the slowest ones, but they last the longest, essentially. Um, so Alex Albon, I mean, he was passing Mercedes, and, you know, that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, obviously, he got hit by Lewis. It was... I don't really know if I blame Lewis for that crash, to be honest. I don't know if he should have got a penalty, but I don't know, like, all the rules and everything. It kind of looked like a racing incident, but it was tough the narrative i'll say this the narrative would have been completely different if he even if he would have got second that race would have been mm-hmm. completely different for the rest of the season yeah because you have like a, a higher point of comparison at that point as well mm-hmm. like if you start high then i mean there are some difficulties that i feel like come along with it like you're always sort of striving to be back in that position back on the podium and it could be tough to fall short but if you never even reach there and like Albon's podium didn't actually come until much much later in the season yeah. and at that point he had already like the narrative had already been set that he was underwhelming, but if you have at least some sort of success you can point to, even if you consistently follow up disappointingly after, that's a completely different situation than never having achieved it all until essentially it's too late in the season yeah. for you to save your spot. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for him because I think they yeah, somebody oh, says this him. later, like you literally just never know in Formula 1 if you're ever going to get that shot again. And like Christian mm-hmm. Horner's like, 
uh it'll feel better like it'll it'll this will just make the the first podium feel even more better and then i think alex Simon was like i mean i would have enjoyed it a lot today but yeah hopefully mm-hmm. the next one and i was like yeah i feel you that would suck yeah and and because like i know at the time a lot of people were like alex uh should have been more patient and just wait he would have easily overtook hamilton the next lap but he was trying to win the race he wasn't he wasn't thinking about second place he was like i need to i need to pass hamilton so i can get to bottas so Mm -hmm. i don't blame him i don't blame either driver for that incident i think it just happened (laughs) yeah no i agree and i feel especially bad for alvin too because like he's what 24 like a year like he's he's young. young already and like at that point like you lose that seat and then what's next? I mean, right. it's just like, it, it's tough being put in so high pressure situations so young. I mean, I think you saw that with Gasly too, although he obviously rebounded and we'll see that later in the season, but yeah, it's tough Yeah, to like that be your shot and you blow it. Then like, dude, like you talk a lot about the narrative too. And just like how different it could have been had he like won or gotten a podium in that race. Like would he still be in Red Bull today? Like I mm-hmm. think there was a, a genuinely good shot of that. It would have been tougher to, to justify if he won a race. And in a season where, like, what, Lewis Lewis and or Mercedes probably won, like, I don't know, all but, like, four races that year. And then if yeah. he was one of the four that, that won, it would be pretty tough to justify kicking him out. But, yeah. So, that's all I got, I think. That's all I got, too. You want to close it out? Yeah, let's finish it up. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. We're going to make this a series where we go through all 10 episodes of Formula One Drive to Survive, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Um, Make sure that you are listening on SoundCloud, subscribing on YouTube, and also listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Make sure to follow us on social media at Youth on Sport, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, not Facebook, but everything else you could possibly imagine. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.